Hi, Jay. Oh, hey, Tyler. How's it going today? Uh, you know, socially distant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even though we're socially distant, we're not alone. Oh. Because there's another there's another guy here, and his name is. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. Oh, it's Brian. <laughs> I missed my cue. Hey. I can't believe I missed my cue. Yeah, I, we do a really good job of rehearsal yeah. with with cues. We just got to say, okay, we're going to start this way, and then we don't start that <laughs> right. way. And let the, and let the guest deal with it. Yeah. So our guest, Brian Wallace, is here, the reverend. Hey. The very reverend. Yeah, very Brian reverend. Brian Wallace. Yeah. And Brian uh, has been bragging about this question. I do. I, I have a question. So this is a serious question. Like, I'm willing to fight to the death on this Wow. Oh. Not, wow. Really. It's, Not really. A hot dog is a sandwich. But... Uh, when you order wings, and I mean traditional hot hot wings, buffalo wings, do you order ranch or blue cheese? Oh, ranch. I, I do neither, because uh, yeah. I, but what comes with it? Like, like what should come with it? Ranch. Oh, you're both heretics. Okay. Oh, so wow. Here's the, wait, here's the thing. Life is just a, a, a series of attempts to try to find ways to eat ranch in a socially <laughs> acceptable way. That's a right. Life I understand. Finding things I understand. that you can put ranch on so that it's just an excuse to keep you away from spooning ranch into your mouth. Yeah, except the fact that like wh- like I had never in my life I had ordered wings many many times and no one had ever offered me ranch dressing before. Oh my! Until oh yeah, you're from West- Buffalo. Until I yeah. moved to Western PA, then people were like, "You want ranch, right?" Yeah. And like looked at me like I was the problem. <laughs> and I was like, look, A, I'm from Western New York. B, nobody eats that crap on What did they know about floor. wings in Buffalo, New York? That doesn't... I don't know. They just founded them. <laughs> like, literally the birthplace of wings, right? Like, yeah. literally the birthplace of wings. And, and people are like, blue cheese doesn't come with wings. I was like, anyway. That's <laughs> so, is it, so is it customary practice in Buffalo that, like, most Buffalo wing places will come with blue cheese? That's It's not even an option. Exclusively. Like, like they don't even ask. Wow. You know what blue wow. cheese is? You know how you make blue cheese? You buy ranch dressing and you forget to use it for a year. And, and then let it's it blue cheese. Chunky. <laughs> chunky style blue like, what's wrong with this ranch right. dressing? I don't know. It should be still good. It's blue cheese. Yeah. yeah. No, but, something else. But in all seriousness, I had never been offered ranch with wings until I started college. And I was hmm. like, what, what, why would you be asking me that? Well, now, so, so you, you are a very well traveled uh, individual. Is it just Pittsburgh that does the ranch thing? Or is that like globally? You know, I, I don't tend to order wings out like I don't tend to order wings a lot. Yeah. So, uh, like, like when I've traveled out west or to the south, like I'm not typically ordering wings. Is that because, because... you're you're spoiled by? Oh, absolutely. Buffalo. Okay. Oh, it's yeah. not because you don't like wings. You're a fan of. Wings. No, yeah. I love wings. Like I love wings. I make my own. Like yeah, you make I... your you make wings really well. I was gonna yeah, say I've like... had many wings with you, but they're almost always made by you. Yeah, like I've worked really hard to get good at making wings. Like like own deep fryers that I leave outside. And so, but when I'm in like Atlanta, I'm not gonna order wings. Like that's just asking yeah, that's for disappointment. Fair. I mean, <laughs> like even the small little things that get called Apologies wings Apologies to our Atlanta listeners, are, Atlanta yeah. fans. No, I, I'm we in Atlanta, have those? I'm, not, I'm not ordering your wings. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, no, there's a lot of things not to get in Atlanta and uh, wings is definitely one of them. Yeah. Wings is one of them. Yeah. Do you, are you so, pro, or, pro or negative on, on the celery? Again, I didn't know that you could order wings without getting celery. Okay. So the ranch, so, so the the sour cream and celery, or not the sour cream, the the, the what is it? Blue cheese and celery blue cheese. were to be eaten exclusive from the wings, or like with the wings, but that's like your salad. Right. 
Right. So, so if you're in Buffalo and you order a half dozen or a dozen wings, you will automatically get celery and blue cheese. No questions asked. That makes like sense. They, like they won't ask you if you want them. They won't ask you if you want ranch. They certainly won't ask if you want carrots. No, is just... the standard is the standard operating procedure to eat the celery and blue cheese apart, or to put the blue cheese on the wings? Uh, some people really like to put the blue cheese on the wings. I kind of laugh at people who like order like extremely hot wings and soak them in blue cheese dressing. Mm-hmm. Yep, because that basically defeats the point. Like, yeah, yeah. Like either eat them hot or don't. Um, I tended to not be a fan of, of blue cheese dressing on wings, um, unless I end up in a restaurant where it's just too hot for me to eat, yeah. and then I do it. Yeah. Um, so normally for me, the celery was to be dipped in the blue cheese. That makes sense. I think when I, so Quaker Steak and Lube in Sharon, PA was the yep. first wing place that I was uh, made aware of. And this would have been in the 90s probably that I first had wings. Maybe the 80s. I don't know when it started, but my parents loved it. And we, whenever we'd come around, we'd get wings regularly. And I'm pretty sure that they came exclusively with blue cheese at first. And Did I, they? Okay. I remember, I remember when the ranch became an option and being very excited about it. Yeah, because Quaker Steak was definitely the first place that I was ever offered ranch. Yeah. And I, again, because like at Quaker Steak, like when I came to college, we were like, oh, like you get ranch with wings. So, yeah. Anyway. This conversation is serving, though, to reinforce exactly how hungry I am Because <laughs> any of it sounds delightful right now. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm always in the mood for wings. I got a couple wings yep. that uh, left over from Permani Brothers. Permani does okay wings. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Actually, in Pittsburgh, my favorite wings are actually the Church Brew Works. Mm. Uh, their, their buffalo sauce is really, really good and really, really close to kind of the authentic Western New York. Like, they clearly use a lot of butter yeah. in their sauce. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, like I find that, a, that in this part of the country, a lot of people use more vinegar. So you get um, a, a pretty different flavor than, than the rich, like, like, true, like true Western New York sauce is both incredibly rich and buttery and like tangy hot. Yeah. And here, there's a lot more of the tang from vinegar and the heat without the like richness of the butter. I'm a butter fan Yeah. Um, in my own sauce, so. Quaker Steak Quote. used to be a whole lot better than it is now. Like it, in the last probably 10 years, it's dramatically gone. <laughs> when we went to, to, to Splash Lagoon two years ago, we had dinner yes. at, at Quaker Steak. Yep. That one's yep. up there. So, I, I was just thinking, you know, Splash Lagoon, our retreat got canceled because of the yeah. coronavirus thing. And uh, that's probably for the best because that place is a Petri dish under the best On a good possible day. circumstances. On a good day. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it, for those of you that are uninitiated, it's an indoor water park. Uh, so the indoor temperature is 500 degrees with 1,000% <laughs> humidity. Uh, and just every disease grows there. Um, they're now working on the coronavirus vaccine just directly in the pool. Right. Yeah. They just work you it could. out, right? Yeah. Just an, a lot of chlorine <laughs> and off you go. Oh, man. Well, I'm Jay. So unlike last week, <laughs> oh. last, wait, last week we had a real solid uh, Zoom connection. This week we don't. So We do not. <laughs> It'll be no, really it's real shaky. I have no idea what Jay just said. We'll find out later. <laughs> That's when you guys heard what Jay just said, that was the time that I heard it too, for yeah. the very first time. Because so. he just froze up. <laughs> yep. 
best of luck to Tyler editing this. Thing. Every That's, time Jay yeah, freezes yeah. too, he always freezes in a in a picture that looks like he's pausing. So I can't yeah. tell if he's frozen or just making a dramatic. Because uh, he looks thoughtful. Yes, he really does. I'm just going to occasionally, for the rest of the day, uh, freeze my face in weird places, whether it freezes or not. You know. Just... That sounds that sounds perfect. All right, so I'm Tyler. I'm Jay. Oh, and uh, wait. We got to, we, uh, let me tell you, we need you to say, and I'm Brian. <laughs> okay. So I'm Tyler. <laughs> I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is Roughing the Pastor. This is Roughing the Pastor. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, off the chart extrovert and you wouldn't know it. He's a relatively quiet guy. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with whether you de-energize or energize by being around people. Yeah. And the best way to explain this is like, um, is a former head of staff who I worked with, Ted Martin, was, is a high extrovert. And Ted would get tired sitting in his office alone. And he would take breaks by coming out of his office and coming out and talking to people. Yeah. And I am, in general, the opposite. Now, I'm not an extreme introvert. Like, I, I, I'm not somebody who, after, you know, an hour-long conversation needs a five-hour nap. Um, but I, in general, need time to recharge uh, after being around people for an extended period of, period of time. Where this can get confusing, because a lot of people are like, well, well I'm a bivert, right? Uh, <laughs> most people act... Most people actually like aren't actually biverts. Most biverts are actually extroverts, who simply are also human and therefore occasionally need to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> like they love being around people. They're like, oh, but occasionally I get tired. Of course you get tired. You're human. Um, but in general, that's what it comes down to: is like, 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 does being around people energize you or de-energize you? And with and with introverts, what actually it means more so is uh, social is your social interaction style. Would you rather sit in a corner having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody or would you rather be part of a large group conversation? Uh, and that's actually a better litmus test for which you are because the introverts tend to prefer the one-on-one, -on -one, tend to. Yep. Experts tend to prefer larger kind of group settings. Um, but So that's the I versus E. So how has the, how has the, uh, the kind of, uh, uh, what is it, shelter at home been as an introvert? So as a family of three introverts and one extrovert, uh, the introverts are all doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> um, the extrovert's beginning to lose his mind a little bit. Because there, is there um, like built-in, we all go to our own rooms time? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. there's built-in, okay. we all go to our rooms. Like yeah. we have four separate spaces and they're assigned. And you know where you go. And the extrovert has to sit in the living room. Um, and he just kind of sits there and, like, you know, constantly pulls out his phone and tries to message his friends and, like, is sending texts and hangouts because he, like, he misses being in school. Yeah. Because he misses seeing people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, like, he's a social student, so he's motivated for school by the social interactions. Yep. Uh, our youngest daughter is a, is a high, high introvert who needs about one friend and 17 books, and she's set. <laughs> um so for her this has been a this dream is perfect yeah this yeah. is a dream like she she's loving every minute of this but even that right even a strong introvert said i kind of miss seeing people right? yeah so even our introverts at the point where we're like oh man like this is getting to be a lot yeah yeah i have i have noticed personally being incredibly tired these last couple weeks yeah. uh, and i think it's because of uh the because i'm a slight introvert as well um, and it, I love being with people, but I do need that time. But like having my day, my usual day off is Thursday and it's where I have the time to like do the household chore, do some household chores, do some random things. And just having little spaces in between, uh, even the, uh, oftentimes my wife will go to work around seven 30. I'll go to work around eight 30 and I get the kids on the bus at eight from eight to eight 30, that little window of just like by myself is really kind of charges me for the day and not having those little windows of time by self, uh, is really exhausting. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons why I'm exhausted too during this, but <laughs> well, that's, I think, I think part of it too is, um, you know, like I've been, we're all trying to make sense of the quarantine bit. Um, 
I've been noticing that like for as much as I'm not around people, I'm interacting with more people. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Because of like Zoom and and you know today I did a worship service with uh, like what was it 200 youth pastors over Zoom. Oh man. Um, oh man. Which was awesome, but like I kind of come was to the, the connection end of the day, better than this one. Only slightly, <laughs> uh, and I didn't have to respond to anything, so I don't know what what was going on. Um, yeah, I, I I think you know we're interacting more, and so yeah, I'm with you. I'm beat tired at the end of days like it's just yeah yeah i've been around too many people too much um but in a different way i was on five and a half hours of zoom calls on tuesday wow Ugh. that was about yeah. as much sleep as i've gotten any of the nights yeah. of this yeah. week yeah no kidding <laughs> i think the other thing too is that like even right now knowing that like my family's occupied just having them in the house i feel like i should be with them or helping them mm-hmm. or doing something like that so that it's the it's not that oh they're in the house i need to get away like they're in the house and either need me to help or would like to play or things like that. Yeah. Like that draws me back toward them. Okay. So we got the I and the E. What, what's our next? So the next one is, uh, is, is S or N. And this, uh, describes how you, how you gather information from the world around you. And the N is intuitive. Uh, it's called N not I, cause there was already an I for introvert. So, yeah. uh, N for N, for your intuition s versus sensory and the best way to kind of understand this one is that is the s type personalities like me are data gatherers we use a lot of our senses hence why we're called sensory to gather information that we then uh, use and we'll get to these with the next two letters to make decisions and to decide courses of action and and things like this n type personalities tend to much more kind of trust their gut their sense, right? So if I'm working with somebody and they keep saying, you know, I just get this sense that, or I, and, or I just get a feeling that, and when I push them and say, but, but why do you think that? They're like, I don't know. I, I just, I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. Then I know I'm dealing with somebody who's probably almost certainly an intuitive type personality. Yeah. Um, and the key thing with Myers-Briggs, and this is where I think the Myers-Briggs has actually gotten a really, a really bad rap, is... Um, is that th- is there such a spectrum on all these things? Which is why when I like when I, I've described it, I, I've been very careful to tell you how strong I am toward a certain letter, mm-hmm. because like ISTJs, my type, and another ISTJ can look very very different because we're at different places on the spectrum, right? right. Well, like a strong I and I are not gonna lo- gonna look at all alike. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about I about Myers Briggs is that because it's a behavioral assessment. It describes how you function. It is going to shift over time yeah. in ways that some of the other personality assessments and some of the other skills assessments don't as much. But so I, I tended to test a lot when I was in congregational ministry as a ESFJ, right? More extroverted because I had to be um, and, and more F-oriented because in ministry you're making a lot more decisions based on feelings than you are necessarily on a pure thinking model. Especially in youth um, ministry. Yeah, especially in youth ministry. So, like, so, like, that's why people say, "Well, do do your letters change? Maybe, right? But like, like, they will definitely shift over time. And ultimately, like, and we'll get into this more with the with the enneagram. Like, part of what actually can be helpful is to look at where you have extremes and try and figure out how do you actively try and counterbalance those things. Um, which I can talk about on our next letter. So what's the next letter? 
Next letter is T or F, and this describes how you make decisions. So, so, so the, uh, the S and the N describe how you receive information. The T and the F describe how you make decisions. And um, so, for example, I'm a T, uh, kind of middle of the road T, which means that I'm going to value thought process more so T is, than anything T else. is for thinking? T is for thinking, okay. yep. And F is for feelings, right? And so someone might say, well, the information says this, right? So, uh, so like, uh, so even if someone is a, is a SF type personality, they're going to gather information through their senses, but they're going to make their decision kind of based on their own sense of feelings. And this isn't always bad. Like if you're a pure T and you're just making decisions based on like rational thought process, uh, a rational thought process, you're probably going to be a big jerk most of the time. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to say gonna... that it's worth letting people die so that the economy doesn't tank. Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm like, not making right. a joke like that. A right. computer like, would make that decision. Yep. yep. Like yeah. bottom line, if the economy is the greatest value, yeah. then, then whatever it takes to keep the it's economy. It's collateral going, damage. Collateral yeah. damage yeah. is always worth right. it. And yeah. But on the other hand, if you're a pure F decision maker, like you're going to make really, really stupid choices in life. Yes. Because it's going to be entirely based on feelings. And like I saw this all the time doing chaplaincy work where, where people would not let a relative die. Right? Despite all medical evidence to the contrary, they were not coming back. They were in their 80s. Like it was full on pneumonia. And we're like, look, like you might as well pull the plug. Like they just couldn't because of their own feelings and grief. They'd just be like, I just, I just don't feel like that's the right thing to do. When all of the medical evidence was to the contrary, yeah. so so like like none of these like a lot of like there's not a there's not a best personality and there's really unhealthy ways to function with all these different ways of labeling ourselves. Yeah. So like the extremes of any of these are, are bad are, are right. problematic. Yeah. Right. What's the last letter? Yeah. So the last one is P and J. P describes process, and this is kind of. The, of the rate or the way in which you make decisions. Uh, um, so this is actually easier to describe in a, beha- a behavioral sense. If you had a committee full of J's and you gave them a project, the J's would finish the project three months early, but it really would have no original thoughts. Yeah. If you gave an entire committee of P's a project. J, J is they, judging? Yeah. Is J ju- judging and perceiving. judgment, okay. which means making judgment versus P, w- which is process. So not judging like I declare you to be bad. Right. But judgment. So, in, yeah. so, so basically what it is, is do you value the decision you make, the judgment you make, or do you value the process by which you get there mm. more? The right? journey so which versus is the, the destination. Journey or destination, right? Yeah. So I am true to form a destination person, right? Yeah. Like I don't enjoy the travel. People are like, hey, let's road trip. And I'm like, no, let's get to where we're going. <laughs> um, like that's, you know, but again, if you are a straight J, you're never going to take any time to think something over yeah. for very long. Yeah. If you're a straight P, you're never going to make a decision. Um, and that's part of the reason why, especially where Myers-Briggs can be helpful is when you're working with a team to say, oh, this is why this person is always annoyed mm-hmm. because they're a strong J and they can't put up with all of you just sitting around talking all the time. This is why this person never gets anything done because they're such a strong P that they're they're afraid to actually ever do anything. So that is so helpful. Okay, so now that we know what those letters are, uh, Jay, what is your Myers-Briggs again? 
I, I am the exact opposite of Brian, save for the introvert. I am an INFP. Okay. I, Tyler Domsky, am an INFP. Yeah. Brian, what are you? I'm an ISTJ. Yeah, there we go. So we're all introverts on this podcast for you. <laughs> it's much better to sit in our rooms. None of us are strong introverts. Though. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. Like none of us are strong. And sometimes I mean, I've tested as an E quite quite frequently. Yeah, I think the couple the couple times I took an assessment, I was dead tied, um, which yeah. they they give that to the introvert. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, th- so they either do that or the other concept in Myers Briggs is what is called your auxiliary mode. And the first time I, I ever did a full Myers Briggs assessment, like the couple hundred questions, I was dead tied between I and E. Hmm. And uh, the auxiliary mode describes kind of your fifth letter that that you're most likely to engage. And not surprisingly, the ISTJ's fifth letter, the auxiliary mode, is the F. Um, and the ESTJ, I can't actually remember what uh, what the auxiliary is for that one. But that was what actually tipped me and made it very clear that, that I'm AISTJ. Because I can make decisions based on feelings. I am aware of that. I, I think for the E, for the E, it was either the P or, uh, or, or the N. And both of those are so weak on so weak for me i knew that there was no question that i was uh, istj do you know just briefly like what's the do you know the history of like what is why did the myers-briggs come about what is it generally used for we all know it because so, we're in ministry and it's a part yeah. of the requirement of the process of becoming a minister is you have to yeah. get this this testing so myers-briggs to my knowledge and i haven't done extensive reading on it kind of got to start in the early 1900s yeah um it, it's been derided now as kind of pop psychology yeah um and and the Carl Jung typology stuff. Um, I think, like I think, like I think it's still a valuable tool. Uh, where I think it be- become, can become unhealthy is that it began to get used in like hi- in hiring processes. Yeah. Mm. Where like where like companies would be like, well, we need to hire an ISFJ for this slot. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a stretch. And uh, and I think part of it is what I don't like about Myers Briggs, and I like more about the Enneagram. Um, is that there's not a lot of kind of dynamic movement built into it. It's kind of a, like, here's your four-letter your four box, now live in it. Yeah. Um, and that's not it at its best, but it is, in essence, how it functions because that's how the system is set up. Yeah. Is as behavioral identifiers of traits and characteristics. Yeah, and then it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Even Absolutely. more so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, before, because I forgot, tell us what your job is and kind of what what you did before that, how you got to that place. Who are you? Yeah, so my actual background, my formal training is actually in physics and computer science. Yes. Um, my undergraduate <laughs> degree was in physics and, uh, and computer science. I did work on uh, fluid dynamics research. I've done work in database management and development work. And then in the midst of all that, I uh, graduated from college with my physics degree in May and started seminary the following fall um, uh, and pursued uh, the, the typical path. The typical path, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. It's the typical path. You know, most people are like, "Oh, so your second career?" Nope, just made a really quick <laughs> shift. Um, so did uh, did youth ministry for ten years, uh, and then in 2016 made a move to serve on a mid council. In our system, it's called the presbytery. Um, the best the best way to understand it is it, is it's a bishop like role, but we don't have bishops. Um, in the same way, but uh, it's basically a regional executive, regional resource person um, 
middle management pastor is kind of the best way to describe it. Um, <laughs> I always describe just, it to people outside of the church. I always describe it as like assistant principal. Yeah, that's kind of it. Like yeah, you were like, someone who is in education, but not actively, you aren't teaching a right. class, but usually right. they had taught classes and, and sometimes you have to be the bad guy, but other times yeah. you're like a helpful resource. And yes. Some people love you and that's some people a, don't. Yeah. And some people love me and some people don't all in the same time. So. Yeah. 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 So tell us more about who you are. Uh, yeah. So I did, so I did congregational ministry for 10 years. I've been doing this for, for three and a half. Um, now I guess almost four at this point. Yeah. Um, and along the way started a small business, uh, and re- recently sold that. So kind of lived the small business journey. Um, was that in fluid dynamics? It was not in fluid dynamics, but or it was data processing. It wasn't physics. Actually, it was in data processing. Oh, well, there um, we go. Because it dealt with cameras. So <laughs> cameras are the perfect combination of physics, of optics, and computers of processing data and images. So uh, ran a camera rental company. Uh, for I love the way the, the, short, the shorthand of how you got into it, though. I had gotten a DSLR. So I had shot film yeah. and then moved over to point and shoots in the digital era because the, is the first digital cameras that had interchangeable lenses were just way out of my price range. And then got into it and started buying up lenses yeah. and suddenly realized I had bought way too many lenses <laughs> um, and needed to figure out a way to either fund my habit and, re, and recoup some income and actually found an ad on Craigslist uh, from a guy out by the Pittsburgh airport who was renting stuff out on a Craigslist ad. And I was like, I could do that. Um, which in hindsight was an incredibly stupid thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but it worked. Oh, Craigslist uh, and, is one of the safest places on the internet. I know, right? And here is, the, here is the, the true story. The guy out by the airport and I eventually met up, and we, uh, over Super Burgers at Eaton Park, decided to go into business together after knowing each other for about 20 minutes. Nice. Um, we were like, yeah, we definitely should do this and start a business together. Um, so we did. So, so did, did, did they give you those Coke bottle glasses that you're wearing right now in college? Or with, like, did you have to come across those honestly later? They came with the pocket protector. Yeah, they did. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's a match oh, yeah. set. I yep. like, of all the people I know who were way into cameras, you, you are someone who likes taking pictures, but you'd love the tech of the camera. I even love the more. tech. And so I love it. most people yep. like, keep buying expensive cameras because they love photography. You like photography, but you just yeah. love tech. I like, love tech. And, I and love not tech. in a, like, you love, a lot of people I know who love tech buy stuff that they don't understand just because yeah. it's cool. You buy yeah, stuff and, and then you like, I, I would imagine that your favorite reading material is the instruction manual to a new piece of tech. Actually, actually true story, when a new camera comes out, one of the first things I do is download the instruction manual <laughs> because I want to know what they did. Like, yeah. like I want to know what all the features are and, and how stuff works. And that actually doing a rental business worked really well. Yeah. Because oftentimes what we worked with is people who didn't know what they who didn't know what they needed. Yeah. And would call us and say, Hey, I'm shooting a wedding, right? Well, where is it? Indoor, outdoor, what season, how far away are you gonna be? Like there's a million questions. Yeah. But like having a good understanding of how technology and also how the optics work. Yeah really really came in handy so yeah i mean i like taking pictures i still like taking pictures actually i've discovered i love doing photography more now that i that i'm not running a rental company yeah um because the camera's mine and when i pick it up it's still set the same way it was last time i touched it Hmm. and Um, and the chance of you getting a brand new camera is a lot less like you're you're probably on you're probably on a on a less on a slower schedule than you used to be oh it's so sad yeah it's so sad (laughs) 
It's like, also nice I, from a rental standpoint. I was thinking like it, the if if someone was a photographer first who owned a rental camera, they would just be telling you, "Here's what I like." Yeah. Versus being someone who who loves the tech, you you don't. It's not about personal preference. It's about what the no. cameras are capable of. No, I mean I bought all kinds of gear that I never used yeah. more than to make sure it worked. So, but then you, you somewhere along the way, uh, most recently I believe you became a coach in the Enneagram system or certified in yeah. the Enneagram system. Yeah. Well, being certified. Yeah. Being certified. Leading to this incredible. 42-page report that I got on myself from yeah, Mr. Brian Wallace. Uh, yeah, you did. Tell us about what? that. How'd you get there? Yes. Wait, you got a 42-page report on yourself? Yeah. yeah is that that thing that the is that the thing that you were talking yeah. about? Oh, yep. I need to do that. Wait, so wait. In, be, before uh, we get into Enneagram, I want to ask real yeah. quick the other ones because we'll forget about them. Yeah. Uh, what's your Hogwarts house? Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Got another Hufflepuff. There you go, Jay. Nice, Hufflepuff. nice. Uh, Hufflepuff makes sense. Uh, Batman or Superman? Uh, neutral. Yeah, I, it, I'm not. We'd realize that question is too limiting. What is your favorite superhero? I so I have a distinct feeling that that the things I would count as my as my superheroes, uh, you wouldn't agree are superheroes. Are you gonna say Mother Teresa? No, <laughs> like 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 my like. If you ask my kindred spirit, let's put it this way. Yeah. Like best animated personality. Yeah. For me is Woody from Toy Story. Oh, wow. I thought Woody Woodpecker. Right. Yeah. Okay. Woody. No. Woody from so, Woody from Toy Story. Yeah, that's a good one. That's Woody from one. Toy Story. Are you, and and we had a long-standing. Uh, you you insist on including uh, Toy Story as the best Disney movie. Sure. Well, even so, though it's not a Disney movie. So even though even though I understand completely that it's not a Disney movie <laughs> in the traditional sense, the sheer joy I get of irritating the crap out of you, Tyler, that's why I continue to insist. I understand your argument. I actually agree with your argument. I know you do. I, that's it's just what too fun. It so great. Yeah. It's just too fun to be like Toy Story and then watch you respond because the you funny, can't help it. Well, and the even funny though is, you know, even though you know I'm straight up trolling you. The funny thing about it can't help it is that throughout our our friendship. You've had like eight or nine different opportunities to troll me on this because yes. I keep coming back to you whenever I'm bored of like, okay, what's the best <laughs> Disney it, movie? It really and then what's is the best Pixar movie. It really yeah. is the best system because Tyler is so easy to troll on some of these things and really <laughs> enjoys <laughs> being <laughs> trolled. I really yeah. do. Well, I really Tyler do. Tyler <laughs> passionately cares like to to not not full blown personal conflict. Lo- no, but like like right. m- like visible levels of irritation. Tyler cares about a whole bunch of crap that none of us actually really care about. <laughs> That's true, and it's just too fun to set him off. I have real strong. Like, I have real strong opinions about things that do not matter. Exactly, you have and real I'm, strong opinions. I'm very open and casual matter. about differences of opinion on things that are of the utmost yeah. importance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, but if you say Toy Story is a Disney movie, be prepared for the wrath of Tyler. Well, and your you, so your argument also was that Toy Story is the best Pixar movie. Toy Story one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, my response I mean, to that is that Toy Story One is not even the best Toy Story movie. Yeah, but you got to go with the like cultural implications of what that movie is, and like, do you? Do you? I do. So, is Snow White the best Disney movie in that sense? So let me come back to this though, right? So this may help you understand. Uh, had any movie done what Toy Story has done for computer animation? No, not to that I'm point, close. but no. But has any movie radicalized computer animation in a way that Toy Story did since? Um, 
probably not in a way that the culture can understand. But no, the, but no. the same argument then is made that to say that Snow White is the best Disney movie. And see, I wouldn't say so. So I so I would argue that for me, Toy Story started the computer animation. Oh, absolutely. Era. Yeah, right. from a technical standpoint, Toy yeah, Story is incredible. It. From a straight up movie standpoint, like yeah. it doesn't the the animation the the, the kind of it's it's really well animated for how old it is. It does yeah. not hold up animated wise as well as it as you want it no. to. No. But even that being said, the story is good, but not nearly as bad. Like everyone's really mean to each other in that movie. Yeah, it's really um, true. Yeah, and uh, also they are the 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 bad guy in the movie is the one who is the most creatively playing with these toys. Yes, like this kid who clearly comes from a terrible home is turned <laughs> into and is really just using his his creative way of reusing these toys and like kind of breaking these toys and then turning them into new creations. Like that's the most creative kid in the story. And he's the one that gets terrorized and is villainized yes. in this. And then he grows up just to be a garbage man. <laughs> way to go, Woody. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So what's the, is there one other question? Oh, what, what, um, if you could travel in time to go to any concert ever just for the concert, what concert would it be? Ooh, any concert ever. This is going to show my age a little okay. bit. Uh, I spent a lot of time listening to Dave Vance's band Live at Red Rocks from 95. You're speaking, yes. you're speaking Jay's language and right now. I think that would be the concert. Like, just because, like, I am not a huge, like, I'm not a huge music buff. Um, I listen to music constantly, but don't pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah, but I would say that that probably live at Red Rocks, um, or along the same vein, live at Luther College again. David oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good that, one. That actually, now that I say it, it would be live at Luther College. That 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 is like the soundtrack to my high school experience. That's the so most accurate. three guys in their uh, three white guys in their late thirties and or forties. Seriously, yep. <laughs> yeah, we're all like, oh yeah, that that album. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a great album. Yeah. Uh, Okay, speaking so, as a child of the '90s. Right? Yes. Oh, yes. it's fantastic. Speaking well, of, guess great. what comes out tomorrow? A new Pearl Jam record, which is amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's kind of like when I was doing middle school ministry, and they would tell me about how much they love Green Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'd be like, "You realize that Green Day was cool when I was in middle school, right?" Yeah. Like, just so we're clear. Also, like, I remember, like, I remember when Pearl Jam Vitology came out. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Pearl Jam Ten came out. Yeah. Um. Because the because the music video to Jeremy really messed me up. Oh yeah, it was insane. Yeah, it was like I remember watching it, being like, oh. yeah. When I realized what like what this story actually meant, it's so. still I think it's still a, a relatively shocking video to watch it now. Like I think if yeah. you it's watch not the graphic, but no, it's powerful. It's kind of graphic at the end because there's a lot of there's an image at the end. It's not yes. inherently graphic, but you get what's going on. And uh, it's just, it's compelling and mysterious and yeah. shocking. Oh, yeah. Yep. So watch the music video for Jeremy by Pearl Jam. It's from mm -hmm. 1991. So. But if you've got kids around, you may not oh, yeah, want no, no, to watch no, it. No, don't, you? don't. If you're on a phone, watch it. it and this is primarily yeah. to all the people who've never seen that video before. Yeah. Which are not parents. Um, watch that video. It's an interesting video. Yep, it is. Okay. To the end of your crap. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I, uh, Brian, were a couple weeks ago, right when this whole Corona thing hit the fan, yeah. together in Nashville, you had just come from San Francisco, uh, San Francisco. to yep. get 
certified. What 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 did you technically get in San Francisco? So basically, I am in the process of being certified to administer the in, the integrative enneagram assessment, and to be an interpreter for that. So that is one of the enneagram assessments that's out there. That is by far the most comprehensive. Is that the um, one I I took? That's the one that you took. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I am in the pro. So I did the training. I now have to find uh, a case study to have them do the assessment and to go through a couple meetings with them in debriefing it. Um, so far, the two people I chose have both turned out to be nines, which is what I am, and therefore <laughs> I can't use them for my case study. Yeah. Um, but if I you need have- if you need a weird nine, I know one. Well, that's I was going to say this Actually, is you're, yeah th- this is where it gets interesting because all three of us are nines, yeah. In radically different ways. Yeah. So yeah. wait. So yeah. So Brian, what's your nine or what's your what's your enneagram? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, so I almost think for the listeners, it'd be helpful for them to understand how I got there. So the enneagram describes nine person personality types, and the thing about the enneagram that it assesses. So we talked about Bill Myers Briggs at the start. Um, unlike the Myers Briggs, where it's assessing behavioral traits and characteristics of how you function, the Enneagram specifically looks at core motivations. So what drives you, what are you seeking in every type of situation. The roots of the Enneagram, what makes it so interesting is that they're really unknown. Um, there's a lot of theories, there's a lot of history, but, but we see strands of the Enneagram uh, developing in, in ancient traditions. Um, uh, mystic Judaism, uh, mystic Christianity were both kind of influential in the development of of the Enneagram. Um, there have been uh, like non-religious but clearly spiritual influences in in the Enneagram. And in the United States, it really came in through uh, the, the Roman Catholic tradition, which is actually how it, it kind of made its way into most of church culture here in the, the United States, but it for a long time was a Roman Catholic thing. Um, was used a lot in spiritual direction, which is more common in kind of, of Roman Catholic type traditions um, than kind of evangelical Protestant ones. Um, but that all really began to change, and a lot of people, most people trace it to in 2016, a book called The Road Back to You was published. Um, and it was published by a non-Catholic publisher, uh, and it was written by a non-Catholic. So Ian Morgan Cron, is an Episcopal priest, he's an Episcopal priest in Nashville, which means that he's kind of this Episcopal priest caught in the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. which gave him a, a really good language to kind of introduce us to a, broad, a broader broader audience um, as to what is the Enneagram and what is its usefulness. And that's kind of where, um, that's where, that's why it surged in popularity, at least within Protestant culture. Um, and I think part of it too is that uh, there's been a greater emphasis even outside of the church in this concept of self-awareness, um, of better understanding yourself, your traits, your characteristics, how you respond to things. Um, and, and a lot of people have found the Enneagram to be a super helpful tool in growing in your awareness of oneself. Um, so I was introduced to the Enneagram actually in 2016, um, did a couple kind of cheapy free tests uh, that got some mixed results that weren't super clear, um, then did some reading. And as I did some reading and did some better tests, um, it, it, it became pretty clear uh, which of the types types that that I was, um, and I ended up uh, typing out as a nine, um, specifically a one to one nine, um, and I'll, I'll talk about subtypes 
in a bit. Um, but yeah, so I'm a nine. And what are you, Tyler? I'm a nine. Nine and, and Jay, one. what are you? I am a nine. You're a nine. Apparently a one-to-one nine, which we are going to Apparently spend a, a lot of time on subtypes because I have some questions. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, is it fair to say... I mean, it, this might be hard to answer because we are coming as pastors. Uh, we read a spiritual um, lens into almost everything. Is there a spiritual bent to the Enneagram? Absolutely. So even even at this training in San Francisco, which was not a Christian training, so the Integrative Enneagram group is not religiously affiliated at all. Um, both instructors were clear, and they said, look, like the spiritual roots and spiritual connections of the Enneagram are unmistakable and unavoidable. Hmm. Um, and, and if you're not willing to engage that, you're going to find it more difficult, which for a lot of the people in this room, there were 36 of us, a lot of them were kind of like, like upscale executive coaches working in the Bay Area type people. Uh, that took some people hmm. kind of back for a minute when, when the instructor's like, you can't avoid the spiritual roots of, th- of the Enneagram. There are some, some weird patterns that emerge out of it there's weird traditions where like like multiple like multiple traditions all kind of of uh, encountered the same pattern in different ways and at different times um but it in a lot of ways it came through spiritual communities were where it found its root so there's unmistakably a spiritual aspect to the enneagram for some christians that actually freaks them out which is funny <laughs> um but like like if you look up christian response to enneagram like there is a lot on google of people who are super pissed um and for me like like for me and this comes from a science background like like all truth is god's truth like <laughs> i sometimes tell people like what what like whether you're a christian or not your brakes work the same way yeah. um yeah. whether you're a christian <laughs> or not like personalities work the same way um, like I always laugh at people who like tell me how much the, 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 they don't trust science and then take a prescription pill. <laughs> I'm like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Like I wouldn't drive your car. I wouldn't take get it, on a plane. take meds. Yeah. Right. Oh, don't get on a plane by all means. Heavens don't get no. on a plane. Um, you know, j- just because for me, when something is found outside of the Christian tradition, it lends more credibility to it, not less. Yeah. Um, and that's what I really enjoyed about the Enneagram. The other thing that's really interesting about it is that it suddenly gives spiritual language uh, to things that for people who aren't Christian, who didn't grow up in a Christian setting or a faith-based setting at all, they don't have language for. Yeah. And suddenly I've seen people who are avowed secular, who are anti-religious in every way, suddenly being able to talk about things like wholeness, Mm. which we have words for wholeness, right? And like we talk about about connecting to God and growing in faith and like growing in our own discipleship and learning to trust, like all those kinds of things. And for now, non-Christian people, for people of no faith, the Enneagram gives them this kind of spiritual language, um, which is helpful. Yeah. Uh, it's helpful on, on a lot of fronts, in part because uh, it can make us seem less weird <laughs> <laughs> um, for people because, it, you know, like, like, like I posted on... Facebook last week, like Brian's seven tips for getting through through coronavirus, and number seven was like pray, meditate, connect to the universe, whatever you need to do, um, like basically saying like we like like we all have this spiritual aspect to our lives, and the enneagram is a shared common language by which we can get at that in a way that other things aren't right. So like like 
a Jew and a Christian can have a decent conversation about faith. An avowed secularist and a Christian are going to struggle a little bit more to talk about spirituality. But if you're both familiar with the Enneagram, you can get into a whole different realm of conversation um, through, uh, through talking about health and stress and growth and stretch and all these different concepts. So if we are all the same Enneagram type, we're all nines, uh, yeah. but we are vastly different personalities, I mean, almost yeah. across the board, uh, how? You know? So the biggest thing to remember about the Enneagram is that it goes back to core motivations, not behaviors. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things that they've done some research on, it's not a lot, but they've done some research, which is the distribution of Myers-Briggs types according to Enneagram. And what you find out is that of the 16 Myers-Briggs types, there are Myers-Briggs types of every type that are every number. Hmm. So you have highly extroverted nines and very introverted nines. Because in the end, no no matter how how they function, the way their core motivations, desires, and goals are the same. And the other thing that makes the Enneagram interesting is, well, the Enneagram derives its name from this nine-pointed shape that is a circle and a triangle and a couple... Uh, the branches, and, and I believe it's the Greek word for nine is ennia. So it's not penta. Like some Christians freak out because <laughs> it loosely resembles a pentagram, kind of. And if you look really hard, you can find one. Um, if you look really hard, you can find a pentagram anywhere, though. That's yeah. actually true, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but but it identifies these nine distinct kind of general types. But within those types, there's even differentials of what we've called subtypes, which gets you to 27 types. And even under that, there's going to be vast behavioral differences in how people show up in life and how they function in life and even how they make decisions, but their core motivations are the same. So, for example, I'll pick on, uh, on nines, right? Nines, the key word for a nine is harmony, right? Like adaptive peacemakers is what nines uh, are often called. So nines want harmony in their living situations. They want harmony in their work environments. Um, they generally avoid conflict and, and, and seek to be peacemakers, right? Like, like these are the people who are kind of caught in, in the middle of conflicts and try and settle everybody down, right? But the way someone approaches it can be very different in mm-hmm. how they behave, even if the core motivations and desires are the same. So, for example, a seven. A seven is often called the adventurer, right? Sevens are the ones, like I always say that if you're a seven, there's never an adventure you won't take. That if someone's like, hey, you want to pull off work and go, the answer is yes, before they even said where they're going, right? right? But some sevens would be the quiet adventurers who want long trips, maybe even alone or with one very trusted friend on a solitude, uh, you know, w- would find a pilgrimage to be a really appealing thing. For other sevens, that doesn't sound that great, but going to a massive party with a thousand people, that sounds like an adventure. The goal of having an adventure is the same. The way it looks can be very different. Yeah. So can you, uh, not to, I don't want this to take too long, but I think it'd be really fruitful. Could you walk us through real quick the nine different numbers? Like give us a sure a quick absolutely basics. Like in in general, yep. this is what you do, what a one is, what a two is. In general, yeah. So type ones um, are people who seek to be right and to be just. Uh, so ones are driven by being right, and that doesn't necessarily mean in an academic sense but in a moral sense, right? Mm. So I have picked on my friends who are ones. Like, like ones can make a moral matter out of anything, mm. including like the font choice on a document, <laughs> right? Um, but they are very driven to, to do the right thing. And when channeled well, 
ones can be incredible advocates for justice in the world because they've got a singular focus, this is right, this is wrong, and I'm 100% committed to, to this. At their worst, ones can become people who, who are simply toxic to be around because they're constantly telling everyone else that they're doing everything wrong hmm. because they have their own way of doing it. Um, twos are called the helpers. Uh, twos are those people who, uh, if you say to them, well, what can I do for you, immediately get uncomfortable. Because in their mind, their reason for existence, their purpose is to help other people. Uh, at their best, twos are the friends that when you need, like, like when you've done something stupid and really need somebody to bail you out, a two can think of no other reason but to show up and help you out, right? So like me, I might be like, hey, you kind of got yourself into that mess. I'm not helping you out. A good two is like, no, if, if you say I need help, a, a two is there. At their best, twos are deeply compassionate people who care immensely for people. Um, a lot of clergy are twos uh, because it's this kind of helping, personal, supporting. Uh, I found a lot of twos who are nurses. Um, uh, like those deep, caring type professions tend to attract twos. So at their best, they're wonderful helpers. At their worst, they are overextended by trying to help everybody yeah. to the point that they neglect their own self and become miserable bitter people <laughs> threes threes are called achievers uh threes are your ceo type you're out front uh the the kind of critique of a three the description of the three is get to the top and look good doing it um threes are the mark zuckerbergs of the world who are running massive companies at extremely young ages um very achievement oriented type people at their best they're powerful inspiring leaders who other people gravitate to and want to be around. At their worst, they're vain, self-absorbed, um, toxic personalities that uh, are, are consumed with their self-image and how they look in every, in every given situation. So like the quintessential American success archetype is a three. a three. Absolutely, yeah. is a three. Yeah. Is a three. Uh, fours, fours are, uh, are the intensely creative types. Um, Fours are deeply emotional in general, um, and at their best are probably in, more in good and bad ways. Yeah, in good like and bad just ways, all emotion. And, yep, and at their best, like I joke, there's not a feeling that a four can't feel. <laughs> um, and like I have a kid who's a four. Yeah. Um, and like like uh, like he heard the song, the Simon and Garfunkel song, um, uh, that opens, "Hello Darkness." my old friend yeah, sound of silence. and immediately it resonated with him yeah. he was like oh that, like, that's my song right <laughs> uh, deep, that is deep, my old friend deep intense feelings um, at uh, but, but also can be wildly creative mm -hmm. personalities I, I, I find Forrest to be amazing mm -hmm. because they're the most unlike me uh, <laughs> of, of all the personality types so, yeah. so raising a four is just a fascinating uh, fascinating experiment um, at, at, at their best Fours are the genius creatives among us. Great artists um, oftentimes are fours. Um, they also can be, so whereas a two is really focused on helping you, a four just wants to feel with you. So if your dog dies, a two will show up on your porch with a cake and a big hug and want to take you to lunch tomorrow. If your dog dies, your four friend will show up and want to sit on the couch, hold your hand and watch sad movies all night. So like sitting, right. sitting Shiva. 
Sitting Shiva, exactly. Yeah. Sitting Shiva, right? So like Van Gogh yep. is a four. Ab- yeah, yeah. Ab- totally. Um, and so, you know, fours, but fours are that kind of deeply creative, deeply emotional. Uh, at their worst are melancholy, miserable people who just loathe themselves and the world around them. But at their best are people who can handle emotions like no one I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, a healthy four in the midst of tragedy is what you need. Because they're okay with it. Like, they are okay with it. With, with a, a healthy four is okay with intense pain and suffering in a way that most other people aren't. Yeah. Uh, fives are the deep thinkers, the deeply thoughtful types. Um, uh, they often are portrayed as mad scientists. They're not often the mad scientists that we necessarily think of, but they can be. Um, uh, at their best, they are incredible analyzers who think at a deep, deep level over an extended period of time to thoroughly understand things at their core. They want to get to the bottom of something, and they will dig deep. So a five may not know about a lot of subjects, but the subjects that they know about, they know a ton about. I'm married to a five. Yeah. Um, fives will experiment with a thought for hours, days, weeks, months, or even years. Mm. Um, if you get fives tend to be quiet and reserved, but if you get a five going, you will suddenly learn more about a subject than you ever knew even existed. <laughs> yep. Not even than you ever knew. Than you ever knew existed because they have researched it and researched it and researched it. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Chris Ahau, uh, Chris is married to a five. I'm married to a five. We will sometimes text one another and say, uh, so what five hole did your spouse go down today? <laughs> because they'll get caught in like watching YouTube videos on everything they can about be it climbing or uh, the evolution of early humans in Eastern Africa. Like these are things that I have heard extended amounts about from people who are fives. At their best, they are deeply intelligent, well-researched, well-informed people who can articulate uh, who can articulate th- their opinions well. At their worst, fives are somebody trapped in their own thought process yeah. and stuck. Yeah. Just... Just, well, yeah, I think that, but I don't know. And just deeply kind of caught in their own, yeah. um, in their own mind. Um, sixes are a fascinating little mix of skeptical loyalists. So sixes are uh, kind of your worst case scenario planners. Uh, somebody joked, I think a week ago, that all the sixes were out at Target. No way. The sixes were out at Target getting ready for coronavirus a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, all your sixes are the ones that have That's where cases the, They're the ones paper. who have all the toilet paper. Yeah. They have all the toilet paper. <laughs> Blame the sixes, right? Um, like, like, they are the worst-case scenario type thinkers, um, but they're also intensely loyal. Uh, they're, 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 they're a little skeptical because they're waiting for the worst-case scenario to happen. But, the, but they are intensely loyal-type personalities. Um, a lot of people postulate that our churches, especially our old churches that have been around a long time and are down to like 20 or 30, 20 or 30 people, are disproportionately filled with six-type personalities hmm. who are going to be faithful and loyal to the end. Yeah. Um, at so their that, best, they will go down the sh- with the ship. Yep. At their best, they are people who stick out the tough times and are there when to help things turn around. Um, at their worst, they, are, they can be a nearly manic personality that becomes consumed with their own, their own anxiety. So a five gets consumed with their own thought process. A six gets consumed with their own anxiety. Mm. 
Sevens are your adventurers. Uh, as I briefly alluded to, uh, there's not an adventure a seven won't take. Um, uh, get, you know, like throw out an idea and the seven wants to go there. They're the ones who uh, fly around and do a lot of international travel, always seeking for new adventures. They can sometimes, sometimes wrongly be portrayed as careless. They're not necessarily careless, but they're very open to new experiences and those aren't necessarily the same thing. Sevens can be careless. But what's common is the desire for new experiences. The, the downfall of the seven is this kind of unwillingness to engage pain. So if pain starts to come, come the way of a seven, they'll be like, hey, who wants to go out and get some to eat, right? So a four, a four friend shows up at your door and is like, hey, uh, let's sit together, let's watch that movies and let's cry. A seven's like, hey, you wanna go throw axes instead? Um, <laughs> Like, they, they want to get out and go do something and try out a new adventure at their best. These are the adventurous types that we love to be around, um, who, who make great friends, because they're like, hey, I planned a vacation for 2027, I've got a spot for us, and I can't wait to go, I'm inviting 32 people, it's going to be a blast. Without a good seven, your life is going to be boring. Like, like, sevens are kind of those life of the party type people. They're, they make every 80s movie have an actual plot. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Kevin Bacon like, in Footloose yeah. or yep. Patrick Swayze yep. in Dirty Dancing. or yeah. Like like who are always up for fun, right? Yeah. Are always uh, uh, up for fun. Yeah. At their worst, they medicate by novelty. Mm. So not willing to engage their own pain, they so, will look like for avoidance. every novel experience. Yeah. To- totally. Like, like it's avoidance by trying out new stuff. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, eights are the assertive, powerful, controlling type. Um, sometimes the type that is the least accepting of being typed, because when you read the description, you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Right? Yeah, and it's not. But, it's not described very nicely. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, like these are the jerks. The, yeah, and and but they are almost universally strong personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but eights are the leaders that, in the midst of a crisis, you want an eight to take control. And direct, yeah. And say, here's what's going to happen. Who's who's willing to be that strong, assertive type? Good, healthy eights um, are people who can read a situation, be decisive, take control, and inspire confidence. The difference between the eight and the three, because this is because a lot of people are like, well, is, isn't the, the, isn't the three? A three is more focused on the accomplishment and uh, pursuing accomplishment. An eight is more focused on simply having control over a situation and making sure that things don't get out of hand. Um, uh, unhealthy eights steamroll people yep. with their need to control and, and be in power. So a, a good healthy eight is great to have on a team. Um, it, it's kind of the philosophy of an eight is lead, follow, or get out of the way. Yeah. So, it, so if an eight trusts your leadership, they will happily fall behind you, right? Mm. Uh, a three might not. A, a, a unhealthy three might try and um, uh, find ways to, 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 to elevate themselves, to make themselves look good mm. in the midst of something if they're not in that lead chair. An eight doesn't mind not being in a lead chair, but you better be doing a good job. Yeah. If you're not doing a good job, then the eight's going to get frustrated and want to take over the, the whole situation. And nines are adaptive peacemakers, um, easygoing in, in general. Uh, easy to get along with, at their best, are kind, gentle, good listeners, at their worst, um, are consumed by fear of conflict, paralyzed, and lazy. 
<laughs> Guilty. <laughs> yep. Right. So the joke goes, a nine knows what everybody wants but themselves. <laughs> yeah. I always, I, I always think the, the best description of, of understanding a nine is, is when you ask them where they want to go eat, the answer is always wherever, wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, it, and it's not because I don't have an idea of where I want to go. It's just right. my where I want to go is not as important as you having a good yeah. time. Well, I mean, we, we saw both those things just recently. Uh, when we were together, Brian and I, in uh, Nashville, <laughs> you texted me. You're like, where do you want to go eat? And I was like, this could go on for days. <laughs> yeah, the exactly, two of exactly. us. Not and finally, knowing. I was like, no, I'm taking charge. I had this a little while ago that my spiritual director asked me. We were working through something uh, that I was trying to decide on. And she said, what do you want out of this situation? And I legitimately couldn't answer the question. Sure. Um, it was it, like I just had nothing. It was like the spinning. It was like my my Zoom call today just stuck. Um, yeah. What are um, do you, are you able to? Who's a good like known example of a one? Like celebrity or fictional character. So that's actually one of the one of the dangers of the Enneagram. I think is that it's easy to type people. Yeah. Because, but we tend to type them based on behavior. So, like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of women who have typed themselves or been typed as a two. Yeah. Because kind of the, if the social archetype of a successful man in the United States is a three, yeah. the social archetype for a good mom is a two. Yeah. Right? Who's super helpful and wants to help her kids and wants to help out at school. So, I think it's really dangerous to type other people. Yeah. Um, just because we don't like, like you don't know someone's motivations. Like I have a friend of mine who was typed as a two for a long time mm. and then she really did some good digging and found out she's a seven, mm. um, mm. and found seven to be much more resonant. I had a woman who did the training with me in the fall who had typed herself as a two her whole life. And when we really did some digging together, she found out she's an eight. Hmm. Um, and suddenly realized that part of the reason she was miserable in her life was she was trying to live her life as this like super helpful too. Yeah. And that's just not who she was. And like she had let her adult children walk all over her because in her mind, like she needed to be helpful. Yeah. And you know, when I talked to her later, she's, she's finally, finally has figured out that like, like that has held back her relationship, particularly with her husband because he didn't see her as this super helpful too. He saw her as more of the directive assertive eight yeah. and couldn't figure out why she was letting her kids walk all over her. Yeah. And so so that's why like I'm super hesitant to type people or type celebrities because it's usually based on what we experience of yeah. them. Yeah. And that's not how the Enneagram works. Um, the interesting uh, thing about the Enneagram, especially people who know about it, is that you I have routinely gotten the qualifier of like, well, you're not supposed to type people. But but, Let me tell you yeah. who this. Like, yeah, yeah. We and, don't want to type anybody, but I think you're a this. And it's yeah. like, okay. And and what's interesting is that there is that there are safer ways to 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 engage in typing mm-hmm. than others, right? But like like I I would be super super hesitant to ever say to somebody, I am convinced that you are a five, or I'm convinced you're an eight. Yeah. Um, without doing some very careful typing with them and like like helping them talk it through. Uh, one of the things that they'll tell you to be really cautious about is like, don't type your kids. Um, says the guy who's typed both his kids. Because <laughs> yeah. um, you're supposed to be, what, 13 or so before you can really get a good read? So it's interesting. Like most, most people would say that we are not kind of formed in ourselves until our early 20s at the best. Um, and and like, 
like I, like I've actually said to people, um, uh, like like you may shift, like you may watch your kids shift. So so right now I kind of see my kids as a one and a four, but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if over time that shifts a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think as a kid I probably would have typed out out as a one, um, and I'm definitely a nine. Uh, so. I think when you're dealing with kids, it's interesting to kind of look at traits. My daughter actually picked a fight with me, claiming that she was a two and not a one. And mind you, she's 10. Um, and I asked her, I was, like, I was like, why do you think that you're a two? And she had actually come down one Sunday morning, uh, picked up the road back to you and read the chapter on one and read the chapter on two. And the girl is 10. And <laughs> like, and like looked through it and she came to me and she's like, I think I'm a two and not a one. And I said, okay. Why do you think you're a two? And she said, well, because it says that uh, one is extroverted and that I'm not extroverted and I really like to help people. And I said, okay. I said, but when, but when you read the paragraph on one as a child, she went, oh, okay, that paragraph <laughs> sounded a lot like me. So instead of being like, oh no, like trust me, you're a one, the answer was, okay, why, why, why do you think you're not a one? Yeah. Why, why do you think you're a two? And did this that I read you, or this that in, that in her case she read, like, did that resonate with you? Like, did that connect with you on a deep level? Um, and when I did that, she said yes. At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up not being a one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's only 10. She's got a lot of growing to do. She's got some, a lot of formative experiences ahead of her. Wouldn't at all be surprised if she ends up being a nine. Wouldn't at all surprise end up being her being a two. Um, you know, like, would I be surprised if she ends up being a four or a seven? I would. Um, but I think, like, typing kids is tricky. But I always will say, well, you know, I think you're a four, buddy, but, but, but maybe you're not. Mm. And maybe as you grow older, you'll kind of shift. Mm. Um, most of the kind of, of the Enneagram theory now says that we don't shift once we're kind of formed as adults. So, so what, people why like, is that? Why? Especially since the the Myers Briggs is so reflexive, what what it is about what is it about the Enneagram that locks us into that? Yeah. So what they would say is that the Enneagram gets into this concept of what's called our true self, which is how we're wired. And there's a and here's where there's a lot of different like approaches to it. Some people talk about like what's called the childhood wound, which is this idea that that you are the way you are because of something that happened with your parents, right? So like nines would tell you that you had emotionally repressive parents who refused to allow you to express emotion and made you deeply fearful of conflict. Um, you know, for me, I look at the, at the household I grew up in and that just wasn't necessarily the case. Or, or, maybe, or, or maybe it was and I just don't want to face the truth, right? But the idea is that we are formed as people between both our nature, how we're hardwired genetically, but also our formative experiences in life. Um, one of the questions that I've gotten a lot and we actually brought up at the training is like, how does growing up in trauma situations affect this, right? So like if you've grown up in a traumatic family situation and your true type is a nine, are you going to test that way? Are you always going to test as a six? Um, and, and that's where I think that, that there's still a lot of need for open-mindedness and growth. Part of the thing to understand about the Enneagram is, is that it's a developing system that it, it, it's a school of thought and there's schools of thought within it and there's not just one, you know, like like there's kind of agreement on the nine types, but every book you read describes the nine types a little bit differently. Um, 
uh, even authors have shifted their own views over time um, and kind of how they approach things and how they understand things. So, um, but, but, but the answer to like, like why would they say that it's locked in? Because this gets to core, to core motivations. And what they would say is in general, our core motivations that get to our very being, our very essence as spiritual people don't tend to shift. So your behavior may shift a lot based on the stress in your life or based on success, but, but your ultimate desire, what you're working for, doesn't necessarily change much past adulthood. So even someone who has undergone some kind of fundamental transformation, like alcoholic, abusive person yeah. who becomes yep. a reformed, peaceful, like, uh, like a Nelson Mandela who was, yeah. not that he was an alcoholic, but like in, engaged in very violent things yeah. young at life for for arguably good reasons but still a very violent person to becoming sure. one of the most peaceful people right so and mandela is actually a really good example his ultimate desire never changed yeah the method by which he did it the 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 level of health with with which he expressed his desire yeah. that's what shifted yeah so nines to pick on nines uh, uh, a less healthy nine when they are engaged in interpersonal conflict will run from it and hide. Yeah. A healthy nine, when engaged in interpersonal conflict, will recognize the discomfort and say, ooh, I don't like this, but then immediately kick into, okay, how can we engage this in a healthy way? What's yeah. going on for the other person? What do I need to understand? What am I missing? And, okay, what's going on in me? Why am I so upset about this? Or, or why is this affecting me the way that it is? Yeah. Um, and that's why one of the languages around the Enneagram is levels of integration or, or, or health. And the idea that, that there are healthy and unhealthy expressions of every one of the types. Mm -hmm. So you can do a lot of transformation, right? So you may have an alcoholic, we'll pick on that. You may have an alcoholic who's a seven, right? Mm -hmm. Who is always up for the adventure. Mm -hmm. And early on found a lot of that adventure through consuming alcohol, uh, parties, you know, extravagant travel. And as they've matured, have realized that they really love to do adventurous stuff like skydive, but they don't take alcohol with them, yeah. right? Like they've realized, I still need to fulfill this desire for adventure yeah. and excitement, but alcohol is an unhealthy expression of that. Yeah. Whereas skydiving and bungee jumping and flying an airplane is a healthy expression. Well, and I mean, in a more general sense, oftentimes that gets communicated as you take your addictive personalities and apply it to healthy addictions like yes. CrossFit or something like yes. that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other, the other addiction of talking about CrossFit all the time. All the time. Um, what is, uh, why can't people be wings with, uh, like, why can't I be a nine wing two or a nine wing five? Yeah. So wings are actually, so now we're getting into like some of the really deep parts of the Enneagram. Um, wings are a really interesting concept because for a lot of people who are familiar with the Enneagram, they'll identify in this and they'll say, well, I'm a seven with an eight wing or I'm a two with a one wing. Um, and one of the things that has kind of shifted in the last couple of years has been uh, trying to discourage people from, from overtyping themselves. Um, there's almost a, like Myers-Briggs degree of certainty that people are trying to find mm. when, when they're using their wings. Um, the idea of wings in, in the Enneagram is that, is that you have access to both numbers to either side of your number. So a two has a three wing uh, and a one wing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. A nine has an eight wing and a one wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea behind wings, and this is kind of the best analogy, is that any type that stays exclusively within their own type is going to be unhealthy. So a nine who is like a nine of nines, just stuck in this peacemaking adaptation, don't upset the, you know, take the easy way, is never going to accomplish anything and it's going to be mortified of conflict all the time. Um, what, so what the wings do though is the wings can bring balance to that. They can bring balance to ourselves as people. So as a nine, right, I, I'm, I'm aware that I have a one wing and I've always known that for a long time. That there are points where I function very much like a one. If you need somebody to kind of make sure you're following rules and procedures, it's not my native language, but I can do it. Mm-hmm. Like I can really drill down and look at detail and process. I like doing taxes, for example. Like, like I like making sure my numbers work out and like doing that kind of work. But for a long time, I have shied away from the other wing, which is eight, because I feel very comfortable leaning toward one. Mm-hmm. But without an eight that can be a little bit more assertive, like I'll let everyone walk all over me. Yeah. So, so the wings, in that sense, do the wings become your more intentional uh, inclinations rather? Like, whereas the your this is this is a question. This is a theoretical question of understanding. So, if I am a nine, that's kind of my natural state of being. Yep. That my that I can make a more conscious choice to lean towards the eight and lean towards the one. Yes. As you become more, as you become more aware of them, yeah. you can learn to tap into them. Yeah. And th- whereas I'm not language... making the conscious choice to be a nine. I just am right. a nine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and part of it too is like wings can bring balance to your type. Right. So, so wings like, like some, some teachers on the Enneagram talk about, basically talk about you being a bird, right? And if you're a nine, the one and the eight give you the wings to grow into health. Mm. Um, so so wing, wings are super valuable, but they also can be a trap to kind of, 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 of over-identify with a certain side of it. Mm. Um, it and, and also, I think this is really important. One of the frustrations, I think, with a lot of kind of, of people who have studied and worked with the Enneagram a lot, is that they don't want to see the Enneagram become a source of self-justification, mm-hmm. which is, well, like, I'm a nine. Like, like don't start a fight with me. I- I'm a nine. I don't like conflict. <laughs> yeah, it's an and excuse. Like, yeah, use it as, as an yeah. excuse, right? Well, I'm a seven. And, I can't finish anything. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Like, like I'm a seven. Well, I'm just an eight. Of course, I'm abrasive. Like, yeah, just yeah. deal with it, you yeah. know? Um, like, that's a, that's a really healthy concern because... Because the Enneagram is not a system for self-justification, but it's a system for, uh, for self-transformation, for, mm. for self-growth, becoming more aware of who you are, bringing balance to yourself. And in theological language, it's a tool that helps you grow more into who God's calling you to be. Yeah. Right? So, so, so my language when I teach this in churches is say, look, this introduces you to how God's wired you. Like This is merely a map that shows you how God has put you together and how God has put other people together. So I know numerous couples, including uh, my wife and I, who found the Enneagram incredibly valuable for sorting through issues that come up in marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Like every healthy marriage has issues that come up. Every unhealthy marriage doesn't, and then they get divorced. Um, but so, so you either encounter issues in marriage or you don't. And if you don't, you're never going to work it out, and it's going to end. So 
when you encounter an issue, though, understanding how the other person um, is going to engage that is critical, right? So, like, my wife has learned that I hate conflict. And when we first got married, she was frustrated by that and would try and, like, pick fights with me. And I'd be like, okay, that light is not cool. On the other hand, I get super impatient with her because she's a five. Mm -hmm. And, like, she needs, like, three days to think about something. <laughs> and I made up my mind in 30 seconds, right? So, like, having an, having an understanding of how different people uh, really helps you kind of do that, like, love others as yourself. Yeah. The better you understand yourself and the better you understand other people, the better you're able to love them, right? Yeah. So, like, knowing what a two needs has made me a better friend to twos, yeah. right? Well, and loving like, them as yourself doesn't mean loving them as a nine. No. Yeah, that's uh, the loving them as yourself means loving them as the way they are. Yes. Which is a hard yeah, thing. Right. I think a lot of times we try to love other we try to give people what we want. What we want. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's what not loving someone as yourself. That's loving someone like they are you. Yep. Which is a different So like thing. like if I if I sought for my son what I seek for myself, I would be a bad a very bad parent. Yeah. Which is a hard thing right. to come to, to, to realize. Yeah. Because when we think of like Oh well, this was good for me, so they would like it. Yep. I loved baseball when I was a kid, so I'm gonna play. Yeah. Uh, they'll they'll learn to love it like that. No, they'll learn. Letting everybody be their own person, but also letting everybody be their own start like framework yeah. of understanding the world is a very yep. different thing. Yeah, but like so, for example, like I have I have a lot of friends who are threes. I have a lot of friends who who are twos, and I have actually said to my friends who are twos. I'm thankful for you for all the little for all the little ways you help out that no one ever notices. Yeah. Right? And like I'm not being insincere. I know that they are constantly doing things that no one's paying attention to. Mm. But the best thing that I can do is to thank them for that. Um, for threes, like like I have actually said to somebody who is who might be reluctant to say no, like like you need to step into that into that leadership role. You're naturally gifted for it. You inspire people around you. You need to take the lead on this, yeah. right? Because um, a healthy three can sometimes be a little bit reluctant and be like, "Well, I don't want, like, I don't, I don't want to take charge." It's like, no, he, here's where you need to. Yeah. And I've said, I've actually said to threes, like when, like when you did that, like, like you came off really well. Like you handled that really well. Like you really exuded poise and calm. Yeah. Because those are genuinely affirming statements to them. Like that's what they want to hear. Yeah. Um, that's like the love languages. Yes, in some ways, it can be similar to love languages of like of like once Which you understand a, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, whole other thing. Um, but but once you understand yourself better, you like you're better able to anticipate what's going on with you, which yeah. makes you better at relationships. Yeah. And when you're able to understand other people better, like you grow so much in your patience <laughs> with people, where like where it, where in my mind, I might say, well, look, you just got to put up with it. And where one says, I can't. Like, for me, that's a moral issue. I can't let it go. Yeah. So if I'm saying to them, but you have to, I'm projecting myself onto them where yeah. if, as an on, I go, oh, you know, I can see for myself other issues where, like, huh, there are certain things where I can really feel like a one wing would kick in, like blue cheese or ranch. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like, like I, I have a greater sense of... Of empathy for for that person. Yeah. I think the I think the other thing that makes the makes the enneagram unique, and there's some different language f for this, um, but uh, is the concept of like stress or health, or release and stretch, depending on like which school you're working with, which says that every type 
also moves toward two types. Um, so like a nine moves toward a three and a six. So they would say that a, that, that a nine takes on the positive qualities of a three when they're in a healthy, good situation. Mm. And they can take on the unhealthy properties of a six in a stressful situation. Yep. Some of it's actually shifting, uh, and this is the, is the integrative approach that I was just trained on, that says, no, like you need to not think of, 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 of what they call stretch as, as a negative, but if naturally as a nine, I move toward taking on the properties of a six, how can I then re, like reimagine me moving toward six as a healthy thing? Yeah. Like, how is that a good thing, right? So like one of the, like one to, to talk about coronavirus, before any of this, before lockdown, before anything, like we're probably talking three weeks ago, uh, I was sitting home, it was Wednesday night, and I was reading about coronavirus. And I think we had like 12 cases in the United States mm -hmm. at this time, and like mm -hmm. all of them were in a nursing home yeah. in Oregon, right? or in Seattle, yeah. right? Like this was way down the radar. And I was like freaked out about it. And I like thought about it and I was like, man, like I am really moving towards six right now. Like I am planning worst case scenarios. And, and I did some reading and one of the ideas of kind of, re, of reimagining that, instead of seeing that as a bad thing, say, okay, so you're doing worst case scenario planning. What's an action you can take that can help you like get out of the stuckness? Mm -hmm. So I went to Target the next day picked up like $50 worth of stuff, you know, cleaning wipes and hand sanitizer and uh, meds and stuff and came home and was shocked at how much better I felt. Yeah. Just because I had taken some kind of action step to like validate that. Like mm. that wasn't actually mm. a bad, you know, like, like I, I for a long time have interpreted me as a stressed out person as a bad thing. Yeah. But maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe I just need to find out how to manage it better. Yeah. So stressed so, out, stressed out brand goes to stressed out six. So how to to get out of stressed out six become a good six, right? Become a good healthy six. Yeah. Who is like you know and and again here's the and here's the difference. I spent fifty bucks on stuff we're going to use in the next three months or ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't it would get, yeah. like yeah. like I did not risk family financial peril buying toilet paper. Right. I was like, well, we're going <laughs> to like we will use Motrin. We will use uh, the Clorox wipes. We will use hand sanitizer. If it's in the next few months, great. If it's in the next 10 years, great. Yeah. But we're going to use it, right? Yeah. So like finding responsible ways to express both of like both those things. One of the things that I value a lot about me uh, as a nine is that once you're one of my people, you're one of my people. Yeah. And like, like that's very much a six trait, but it's a good six trait. Like I seek people out, I advocate for people, and like, like once I find loyalty with you, like, like I'm gonna stick with you. At the same time, as a nine, a move toward three, like that's an important thing for for a nine, because the sin of a nine, for example, is to be self-forgetting, yeah, to think that they don't matter in a situation, yeah. And I, I've noticed that in in my own life, uh, at various points. But what the enneagram also provides is this way of saying, okay, like move toward this direction so a nine can take on some of the characteristics of a, you know, of a three. So like take a look at somebody like me who at 35 with 10 years of ministry experience, none of it as a senior pastor, all of it as an associate working for youth, applied for a job to be on a presbytery staff. <laughs> like that's kind of nuts on the one hand, right? 
And but but it was when somebody came to me and said, I think you should apply. And I went to other people and they said, yeah, you should do this. That even then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like I moved toward three. Like that's an achievement oriented thing. So it's not necessarily bad. It feels a little foreign because normally nines are so calm and so at peace. But then suddenly we move toward six, we get stressed out. And usually so go with the flow and so calm. But then we get an idea and we chase it. Like having that dynamism built into it. So the beautiful thing about about the whole system is that you, whatever type you are, have direct access to four other types in the two wings and the stretch and release points. So out of the nine types, you actually have direct, direct access to five that can help you grow and undergo personal transformation. And that's what makes it unique compared to a lot of the other systems like Strength Finders and DISC and Myers-Briggs. Not that those are bad, but they don't have this kind of built-in directional moves toward, you know, toward growth that give you some pathways. Yeah. I want to go back to Jay because every time Jay had a question, he got frozen and then didn't come back to life until we already started talking about something else. So I'm sorry, Jay. Yeah, no, I, I don't know anything about subtypes. Um... Part of what also comes out of the Enneagram is that of each type, there's then three subtypes of each. So there's actually 27 types. And what the Enneagram um, has identified is that there are kind of three core needs for all humans, self-preservation, one-to-one connection, and social connection, right? So we all desire to be social in some way. We all desire to connect one-to-one with a, with a, uh, with a individual. And we all desire to kind of seek out our own safety and welfare and protection. And those are true of every person and of every type, right? That, that on some level you have that. Like you may be a super social type personality, but on some level you know you got to eat, yeah. right? Like you know you got to eat. Um, so what subtyping does is it helps explain a lot of the different like manifestations of some, some of the behaviors of why different types who are seeking the same thing behave differently is because of this subtyping thing. So for example, um, you know, as, as a one-to-one nine, I most value one-to-one connection with someone. So I would far rather sit on the opposite side of, of a table at a coffee shop for three hours than sit in a group of people with like six, yeah, right? Yeah. And what I've oftentimes joked, and I've seen this throughout my, my entire life, is that I always had a person. Like I always had a person who was my friend. Mm-hmm. And I had other friends, mm-hmm. but I always had like a person. Um, and that very much matches with like this one-to-one type. The other thing about, about subtyping is that for every one of the nine types, there's also a, what's called the countertype, which, uh, which exudes characteristics that are very at odds with the other two types. So I'll give you the example of a five. Um, the the self-pre- self-preservation five and social five tend to be much more reclusive and quiet, which sounds funny that a, a social five would be be reclusive and quiet, but they are the type of people who will plan, who will research and plan an entire weekend and then go to bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> when, when there's three more hours of stuff that, that they've planned, they're done. Yeah. They've planned it, right? They're worried about the welfare of the group yeah. more so than their own personal enjoyment, yeah. right? And a self-preservation five is very so focused. The, so on like the activities of, continue past when they... Totally. That's, oh, the five's long gone. Yeah, so they, they've set up the weekend, but then they're going to bow out and let everybody continue yeah, on with the fun. Exactly, and, and that's okay. They're concerned about social welfare. Yep. Right. 
So social welfare, personal fulfillment, like personal security is kind of a good way to look at it. Um, and, and the other thing, thing about it is that, like, again, we all have these things, right? So there are elements of a social nine, which I'm not. There's elements of a social nine in me. There's elements of a self-preservation nine in me. But my dominant expression is of the one-to-one. With a five, you can have the self-preservation five. You can have the social five. But then you can have a one-to-one five that is, can sometimes seem oddly outgoing mm-hmm. and is oddly comfortable in front of people and is really good at social interactions, like really good at relating to people, mm-hmm. um, t- tend to be really good listeners. Hmm. And that helps explain some of the subtyping. Uh, when it comes to the three of us, like I'm very clearly a one-to-one. Jay was assessed and came out slightly one-to-one over self-preservation. But like, Tyler, I'm willing to, prod- to, to guess you're probably a social nine. Um, maybe like, yeah one to one sounds it, sounds more like what i mean in my in my head because i'm often i often have that that friend and i'm often kind of like right. in every section i have i have the kind of one friend the friend i've also seen you be way more aware of social dynamics in a group than i ever would be oh that's that's probably true yeah <laughs> i also don't really know about the the typing so that's i right. i'm interested to get right uh more and again i subsets. like uh, and i can be totally wrong because like, as a nine, you have all three of those elements, right? Like, yeah. self-preservation. Like, you've been wearing a comfortable Expos hat for years, right? Yeah. Which, why? Well, why not? Like, that's part of the, like, comfort self-preservation nine. <laughs> yep, yep. Is, like, why would you get rid of that comfortable sweatshirt, even though it has holes in it? Yeah. So, but, but subtyping, I think, is, it takes a little more work for people to get at, but in some ways can even be more valuable than the wings, because you actually can type down down to your subtype in a way that you shouldn't subtype to your wings. Yeah. But what it can do is it can also really explain differences in priorities in relationship. So what, what really pissed my wife and I off, because we did this training together, we both realized that both the one to one five and the one to one to one nine have this constant desire to seek out one person in their life. Yeah. And my wife like looked at me and she's like, this would say that we're soulmates. Oh. Like I hate... I hate the idea of soulmates. Like, yeah. I think the whole idea of soulmates is bunk, yeah. right? Absolute bunk, and I still do. But it was like, oh, that's why. That's why, from the time we were 18 and met in college, we were always the other person's person, Yeah. right? Like, like that was just always our default, was, you know, we were always the other person's person. Even, even if we were dating someone else at the time, which we did for five years, we were always that confidant and that person. Yeah. And like that Rachel. explained why we were so wired for that, right? Yeah. And if you've got those two types of personalities, the ultimate date night is is a is a like lazy sit on a couch for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah, with one person. Yeah, I and I don't know if this is the social thing, but I keep being aware of one. At the very beginning of this, Jay said he was really hungry because we were talking about wings. Then he showed us a Snickers bar, which I assume is all he's eaten all day. And he keeps checking his watch, and he's been very frustrated by the glitches. There's been very little Jay in this, not because Jay doesn't have stuff to contribute. It's that his he keeps freezing, and I feel bad for him. It's because and, Jay is going to throw his laptop through the brick wall sitting oh, next no. to me any second. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do it, Jay. It's not worth it. <laughs> uh, bring us a, a quick kind of... Uh, what's the theology of this? How does how do we? Where's God in this? I mean, beyond just kind of the general spirituality that you've been talking about. I think I kind of alluded to it earlier. Is that the Enneagram provides a pathway to better understand yourself, like how God has wired you, and 
to better understand how God has wired other people. So if, if there's a theology, it's rooted in, in this idea of theology of creation, um, that like God has created us and wired us in certain ways and wired us in different ways. And part of what I love about the Enneagram is that it, there is no right type. There's no best type. Mm -hmm. There's nine types. And out of the nine types, there's 27 types. Mm -hmm. And out of those 27 types, we then become unique and diverse because although we share core motivations, our expressions can become very, very different in how we express it and, and how we draw in different parts of our personality and our experience and our background. And, like, and on the one hand, what I, like, what, what I would say is, thank goodness there's only nine motivations, mm -hmm. right? Like if there, were, if there were 300 different core motivations, the world would be a mess. Yeah. Um, whereas the nine motivations kind of provide balance I think f to humanity in general. So, yeah. so for me, the real theology lies in this idea: like this is how God has wired you, mm -hmm. and it's a tool for transformation and growth. Um, like that's who we're called to as people of faith. Is like, like th there's this cliche phrase, and I love it and I hate it. Right? Like God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to let you stay that way. Yep. Um, and like again, in, uh, on the one hand, I hate it. Because too often it it's so you should become more like me. Yeah, yeah, is what the sayer is saying. Yeah, well, it's used in youth ministry so much, right? But on the other hand, all of us can admit that that's true, yeah. right? Like like somebody who is still functioning and behaving the same way when they are our age as they were when they were eighteen is not going to be somebody who you want to be around. No, not at all for very long. Yeah. right. Like like we need to grow, we need to mature, and that's like that's what God calls us to. To me, the Enneagram is a tool for that. And I think that's the big piece. Yeah. The Enneagram is a tool. It's not the goal. It's yeah. not the objective. It's, it, it's a tool. And it's like any tool. It's good when it's used well, and it's bad when it's not. Um, so, so for me, that's, that's, that's the core theology. But I really think, like Jesus' second commandment, like, like love others, the better you understand other people, the better you're going to be able to love them, the better you're going to be at relationship. And you're going to find out that once you figure out how people are wired, you're going to have a lot more sympathy for them. Or, this is the other side, you're going to be able to recognize toxicity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot easier. If you better understand a person's type and who they are, you'll be able to figure out, oh, that really is just them. Yeah. Right? Like, that really is just them. And that's okay. Versus, oh, man, like, that is them, but they are really behaving in negative and destructive ways. Like, mm -hmm. like I need to get out. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I think what sometimes people struggle with is like, like when they're in a difficult relationship, should they try and work it out or should they get out? Mm -hmm. And to me, having an awareness uh, of typing can help you figure out whether this is just a difficult personality for you or whether this is a toxic person and you should step away. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, to your point that uh, if you're overwhelmed by this whole system, the whole thing is just meant to empower you to understand things better. If you feel like it limits you, then don't use it. It's yeah, any don't. tool should not be a hindrance. It should. Although, you if you feel it. like it limits you, you're probably a three, four, and eight. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear. Like, and if you love it, you're a nine. Yeah. Like <laughs> if you feel boxed in, you're probably you know. I've had people who are fours say to me, "Well, I I think I'm a unique type," and I was like, "That literally is the definition of a four. Yeah, yeah. But don't like, don't oh. type it. Don't don't type people, everybody. Well, that's after they've had an assessment and it's come back and told them that they were a four, and they're like rebelling against the, the whole system. Yeah. Um, if I can just just touch on that quick, uh, for people who are unfamiliar 
with this. This is a deep, deep, complicated world that you can get into really fast and spend a lot of money on. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and, you can. Or you can do it. For and me. I would caution people against that. Like, like what I actually suggest is like start out, find one of the free or cheap tests online. I actually prefer a free test from Truity.com. Um, you know, it's good to take one of those, but then look at your top three types and go and, and read about those three types. And what I sometimes tell people is like, when you read about the type that's you, you may get a sincere, unsettling feeling of like, oh shoot, that hits too close to home. Yeah. You may get an extreme sense of comfort of, oh my gosh, there's other people just like me. Yeah. Um, or you may just find this profound joy of, oh my gosh, like, like this is me. Like, like this so well explains who, like, who I am and why I experience life the way I do. Um, you know, I joke that, that I've read a ton of books on the Enneagram. I can read the chapters on one and chuckle, and I can read the chapters on three and laugh a little bit, and six and laugh a little bit, um, and, and even eight. But when I read the chapter on nine, I usually have to sit there and go, oh, man, that's, <laughs> that's too much. That's like, sometimes, honestly, I have to read them in doses yeah. because I just feel too seen. Yeah. Right? Like, well, that's a- like, that's the word I would use the, uh, in both the positive and the negative is that like the Enneagram has, has made me feel seen. And yeah. so when I hear the, the, the positives of the nine, I was like, yes, that's, that's what I feel like. That's yep. it. And then the negative is like, Oh no, someone has been that's able me to too. completely sum me up. Yep. In a yeah. So, box. so the first time I ever did the, did the integrative exam, which is the most comprehensive one. Um, it's, it's $60, um, through them or 120 actually. Uh, I had to read it a couple of pages at a time mm. because I just couldn't handle it. Like yeah. I just couldn't sit there and read through the whole thing. Yeah. Some people, like I know people who have typed as eights and have said, oh my gosh, you mean I'm normal and not just bossy? Yeah. <laughs> and controlling and horrible. Yeah, you are. Um, but but I would really encourage people, like be patient with yourself. Give yourself time. Uh, read, read, read. Ask people around you. Um, read the description without bias. So don't they don't say a number. Say like this type tends to be very loyal to people who the, they dearly love, right? Like like read it to people who know you well mm-hmm. and say yeah that like that sounds a lot like you. I was talking to somebody last week who had self typed as a five mm-hmm. and read the description of a five to their spouse and their spouse said uh uh-uh, uh yeah you're not that yeah read the description of a six and said no 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 that's you yeah. like that's you um, so that's like, like it can be a process to kind of work through. There are, are better assessments out there. They tend to cost more money. Um, but it's good to just kind of get your feet wet by, by doing a simple assessment, doing some reading, familiarizing yourself with the world of it. And don't be surprised if your typing shifts, if what you identify with early on isn't where you land. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because the problem with assessments is they tend to ask behavioral style questions. What do you do? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do an assessment to assess motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so that's why it's always a process of, of saying, like, unless you're going to pay for one of the really high-end tests, you're typically, typically going to need to take your assessment results with a big grain of salt yep. and do a lot of reading. Yep. I think one of the, the, uh, the last kind of, which you, you effectively said, is that what, what I love about the Enneagram is that it requires community, that there is not a healthy person and an unhealthy person there are multiple versions of all of that and they're all fluid, but they all are reacting and interacting with the other types. And 
uh, that to me is the body of Christ. That's, that is the church. Like we often, we want everything to boil down to here are Christians and here are not, here are good people and here are bad people, but that's not how the world works. No No matter how much we try to box it up that way. And the Enneagram, it really is a system. That's a tool that should help you to get to that understanding of the world where there are so many different types of right and different types of um, personalities, and those things are necessary for each of us to to be in, in community with. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Poor Jay. All right. So, uh, Twitter question, Jay. You want to tackle a Twitter question for today? I would ask uh, if you, uh, here, so here was the question I was asking at the end. I had never taken an assessment uh, before this one. I had only ever read the descriptions and felt like I got kicked in the crotch every time I read the nine. So my question would be for our Twitter users is what, what, what type do you see yourself as and how'd you get there? Yeah. Um, be- because there, you know, a lot of people did the assessment. A lot of people, you know, again, just kind of read and find out uh, what type are you and how'd you get there? And, and what have you, how have you grown from that? Uh, I think that the growth is the ultimate question. Yep. The growth um, is the ultimate question. You're right. Yeah. It, it, it could even more so than trying to figure out who everybody else around me is. It's trying to figure out how I deal with life um, and how to be a healthier version of nine than what I am. So tweet us at rough, the pastor mm-hmm. roughing the pastor on Instagram. Well, also uh, if, if you are unfamiliar, if you've never uh, learned your Enneagram type or never taken a thing like this, we are going to, as we said, we'll, we'll post a link to Brian's suggestion of a, as a, of a free useful tool. Um, there's, there's several out there. Some of them are of varying degrees. Uh, I have done one several times that what that is good, but uh, Brian has a better one, so we'll do that one. Yeah, and the last thing that I'll say, just just on typing, I've seen people who say like, "Well, I'm a two with a little bit of five. Um, there's actually room in in the in the enneagram for that, but that's not a type. Yeah, um, like like that's not that's not how it works. Yeah. So you can like like I'm a nine who wishes I was more of a seven, yeah. but I'm just a nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> But, but also, if people have questions and, or if they want to do the full, the full length, the full length integrative assessment, um, I actually can get it cheaper. You can get it through the website. Oh, so they should contact me. I'm gonna contact you about that because of the three of us, I'm the only one who hasn't done it, and I'm yeah. the I'm the one who has the most enigmatic typing. In yeah, that nobody believes I'm a nine. <laughs> He's going to do the assessment and find out he's like a one to one eight. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think so because every time I read a nine, it sounds like me. But every time I talk to anybody, they're like, you're a nine? I I thought you were more than this. So uh, it's worth to me to pay the money to find out what I really am. Uh, this has been lovely, even with uh, yeah, it's been fun. Interesting. Thank you very much, Brian. This is, I mean, thank you for having me on. Well, and this yeah. was uh, what uh, th- this was a good episode to have technological difficulties on. Which I mean, I, I apologies to Jay because I, I I love what Jay has to offer and really wanted it. But this very much so. This was a let's ask Brian a question and then get out of the way and let him give us a, give us a class on enneagramology. And if you give a preacher a microphone, which literally you have, you yeah, know that's, what's true. Gonna happen. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true. 
All right. Well, uh, until next time. Well, first, uh, everybody, wash your hands and stay safe. Um, 20 seconds. Wash your hands. 20 seconds. Yeah, 20 seconds. And and stay home. Stay home. Stay home. Continue to tell us ways in which you're finding community uh, within the the social distancing sections that we're in. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. And I'm Brian. And this has been... Roughing the Pastor.